Slightly worrying when you're introduced as this man scares me. <laughs> you could have just stopped then and not given any explanation and that would have been even worse. So it's good to be here. Nice to enjoy worshiping with you this morning. And um, uh, I want to, um, I mean, I'm a man of faith. I got up this morning, beautiful sunny day in Shrewsbury. And uh, it is shorts, sandals, shirt kind of weather. But I was coming to North Wales, so I wasn't sure that it would be. Oh, come on, you know that's true. <laughs> you know we can't always guarantee sometime. But uh, no, it's good, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm going to be talking in a moment on Matthew 6, 19 to 24. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to there, ready, um, ready to go. I want to uh, do, I want to, for one of the few moments in my life, be like Terry Virgo and uh, start a talk by recommending a book. And that's about as far as it gets for me, I'm afraid. But um, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, I want to recommend uh, The Treasure Principle. I would have, uh, it's by a guy called Randy Alcorn, and it is, by far and away, the best book I've ever read on these verses, on Matthew 6, 19-24. Uh, and so, if you, uh, normally they're 6 99 If you happen to have £6 on you, you can purchase one of these two. And if there's more of you who want them, just let me know and uh, give me a name and address, and we'll send a copy to you as soon as we can uh, at that price. Now, the reasons, a couple of reasons why it's the uh, best book. One is that I know lots of people aren't readers, and you can see the size of this book, and uh, I think that anyone could read this book. Um, so you may not be able to tackle War and Peace or Tolstoy or uh, big, you know, kind of theological terms, but you can read this. Um, and the challenges in here, and the way it's put, and the memorable expressions, the things that help you live so that you get your treasure in the right place is what we're going to look at, uh, is our, our outstanding. So I want to recommend uh, the treasure principle to you. And uh, right, and let's get away. Let's start by praying, and, and then we'll get right to it. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we come under, as we look at your word, that you would speak to us, that you would open it uh, to us. Our eyes would be open, our heart would be open to receive from you this morning. We, we love the fact that you have revealed yourself to us through the scriptures, and we love the fact that how else would we know about Jesus? How else would we know about these things? We're able to see and to hear and to read and to understand, and we thank you for this gift. Help us to treasure it, uh, and, and as we do so, to treasure Jesus. In Jesus' name, yeah. amen. amen. Okay, Matthew 6, 19 to 24. 139 words. You used to be able to count them, but... You know, word and stuff, it's just a dead easy. Here we go. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and and money. Uh, in this short passage, Jesus makes three observations that I want us to consider this morning. 
The first observation is, is that Jesus says there are two types of treasure. There are earthly treasures and then there are heavenly treasures. And that one is much better than the other. Where your heart is, there's your treasure. That's verse 19 to 21. The second observation that Jesus makes is that when, if we get these treasures in the wrong order, if we get them the wrong way around, and probably all of us have at one time or other, then it's because our eyes are bad. We're looking at the wrong thing. That's verses 22 and 23. Verse 24 is Jesus' third observation. And that's money can become your master. That earthly treasures, which are always bought with money, can compete with God for your time, devotion, energy and resources. And the conclusion Jesus reaches is that you can't have two masters. You can try, but you will fail. Jesus says it can't be done. You can't make a square into a circle. These two things are, it's just not possible. You can't have two masters. So let's think about the first observation and the two types of treasure. Jesus has a little play on words that you may not pick up in the English version. So actually where you read the word store up, the Greek word is treasure. So Jesus says don't treasure treasure. He's having a little play on words. Jesus did that a lot. He was a great communicator. So he said, don't treasure treasure. Don't put value. Careful, be careful guys, where you place value. What things you consider to be important. What things you consider to be treasure. Okay? Be careful how much value you give to certain things. And his main point here is that one sort of treasure is much more secure than the other. One sort of treasure can be relied upon because it lasts, while the other one is vulnerable in all sorts of ways. However, according to Jesus, the greater treasure, the better treasure, is the one that you can't see, with a balance that you can't check. Gaining this treasure requires faith, because you can't see it, because you can't touch it. Because you won't, do you know, it's there. Gaining this treasure requires faith. One treasure is really easy to acquire. And it can give you all sorts of benefits. The other treasure requires you to spend, not your money, but yourself. Jesus says those who lose their life will gain it. But those who try to keep their life for my sake will lose it. Jesus flips things around. So how do you know? How do you know? Do you know what your balance is in heaven? If that's where your treasures are, how do you know? How well are you doing? Do you have a lot of treasure? Do you have a little bit of treasure? I have absolutely no idea. I've got no idea. That's why it requires faith. Let's think about uh, a real life kind of scenario. A real life kind of uh, place where we can just see the difference between heavenly treasures and earthly ones. A uh, while ago we were given a TV. Um, it's a big TV. It's about as opposite from flat screen as you can get. Okay? It goes as far back as it does across. Um, preferably I need a lift, a crane to help me lift it. If I try and pick it up on my own, 
I'm, you know, at my increasing age, I'm going to do my back in, and uh, uh, you know, I'll be that's it stuff. So there's nothing wrong with this TV, by the way. It's a great TV. It's just not a flat screen TV. Now, if I let's say I decide to buy myself a new TV, a new flat screen <coughs> HD TV. HD stands for either high definition or hardly different. You take that. <laughs> Would I lose my salvation if I bought that new big flat screen HD TV? No. No. I hope that is the case, that no, I wouldn't lose my salvation. It's not at risk. Would I be committing a sin? Probably not. Would I be investing in treasures on earth? Yep. Absolutely, I would. That's a clear decision to invest my money in treasures on earth. Does that make it wrong? Not necessarily. But I need to know what sort of treasure it is. I shouldn't mistake my TV for treasures in heaven. And we sometimes get the two confused. What happens if all my financial decisions end up being votes for treasures on earth? What happens then? If all my decisions are, I, don't, I just keep buying the new thing, the next thing. If every time you want something, you go out and buy it, what if I really enjoy having new treasures? I enjoy researching them, looking for them, finding the best deal, then uh, enjoying it, using it, testing it, until some, another one comes along. Now I want that one, which is newer and better. It's an upgrade. It's shinier. Whatever it might be. What happens then? Jesus says, that's a risky way to live. It's a risky way to live. Because earthly treasures should not inspire confidence. Why shouldn't they inspire confidence? Because they don't last. They can rust, they can perish, they can fade, and someone can nick them. <laughs> earthly treasures should not inspire confidence. They're like the laptop that goes bust the day after the warranty expires. Yeah. You know, you, yeah, knowing not that someone's had that laptop. They're not made to last. These treasures are not made to last. Treasures acquired on earth, for earth, last only as long as you, or it, are on earth. Treasures acquired on earth, for heaven, last only as long as you are in heaven. Think about that. Treasures acquired on earth, for earth, last only as long as you, or it, are on earth. Treasures acquired on earth, for heaven, last only as long as you are in heaven. If that's really true, and if you believe with me that that's true, why do we find it so easy to build up treasures on earth and so much harder to invest in treasures in heaven? Because let's, ma let's be honest, let's make no mistake about it, it's much easier to invest here. It's much easier here. When you're keying in your pin, signing your cheque, you know what treasure you're investing in. It's much easier. Now I know you guys are a generous church. Nigel has told me so and I'm excited about the way that you're giving both people and resources to plant another church. That's exciting. 
well done. It's brilliant. You're generous. Keep doing those sorts of things. Um, just a word to, the, to those when you plant a church, um, as you've done here and as we've done in North Shore, don't make the mistake we initially made that by going somewhere and setting up a meeting, that, that qualifies as going into the world. <laughs> to kind of say, well, here we are and wait for the world to come. We need to keep going into the world. The world was never said, come to church. The church was told to go into the world. Mm-hmm. And so where you guys who are involved in planting, make sure you're going into the world. That means going to the coffee shops and the schools and the uh, places where people meet. Go there and tell people about Jesus and then they might come to church. But that's an aside. Is it possible to be both generous on gift days? I heard you've got one coming up. Is it possible to be both generous on a gift day and at the same time be regularly investing in treasures on earth rather than heaven? I think it is. And the problem relates to Jesus' second observation, and that's that we have bad eyesight. I have bad eyes. I can't see a blessed thing if I take my glasses off. I can see probably up to... It would help me, actually, if Nigel was sitting right in front of me, because then I wouldn't be able to see him very clearly without my glasses on. Oh, oh, <laughs> Sorry, Nigel, I'm, very, I'm sorry. So there we go. All right. Um... What's wrong with our eyes, does Jesus say? We're looking on the wrong things. Your eyes will tend to fix on the things that you think will improve the quality of your life. Those are the things that your eyes will naturally be drawn to. So if there's something wrong in your house that needs fixing, your eyes will be drawn to that and to the solution to that. If your car keeps breaking down, your eyes will be drawn to a new car. That will help solve that problem. Things that will make you happier. And the problem is, sometimes these decisions are fine, because there's a problem and we need to fix it. Other times, there isn't really a problem, but our eyes are still drawn to certain things. A new computer, a new TV, a holiday somewhere, uh, whatever it might be. Our eyes are drawn to these things because they will do... Do say hello to them, whoever it is. um, Our eyes will be drawn to them as solutions to a problem. They might make our life better. They will make me happier. They will make me feel good. Whatever these things. Our eyes are drawn to what we think we need to improve our life. And if you get a wrong idea of what's essential, then you're in trouble. Here's some facts for you. If you guys represent, let's assume for the moment you do, you represent our nation at large. Okay. So if the figures are true here, then... We'll think about it. The UK is the fourth richest nation on earth. But two thirds of the people living in the fourth richest nation on earth, 66% of, of you, would, for example, think that you do not earn enough to afford what you really need. Two thirds of our nation think they do not earn enough to afford what they really need, yet we're the fourth richest nation on earth. 50% of those who earn more than £35,000 a year, and more than that, they also think. They do not earn enough to afford what they really need. 40% of those who earn more than £50,000 a year, so 40% of our nation's highest earners in the top income bracket, think they do not earn enough to afford what they really need. They really need. We are, despite our material wealth as a nation, not satisfied. 
because we have confused want for need. We think we are poorer than we really are. We think that if we have just a little bit more, then life will be different. If only I had this, or lived there, or wore those clothes, or drove that sort of car, then I would be happy. If only I could go there on holiday. If only I, when I retire, it would be like this. Then we'll be okay. And if we continually look to upgrade, shop for the latest deals, get the newest item, what does that say about us? It says we're not satisfied. Not content. I'm not talking about buying your essentials. I'm not talking about your shop uh, a supermarket. I'm talking about when you upgrade something, which is the previous version was fine, but you go and get something new. There are two types of needy consumers in the world. There's the materially needy, who need to put food on the table in order to survive. And there's the spiritually needy, who need to consume in order to feel good. We've got a word for that in our society. It's called retail therapy. Think about it. People, it's part of our language. People talk about having a bit of retail therapy. That means I will feel better if I go shopping. That's exactly what it means. That's what people are saying. I will feel better if I buy something new. If we believe the adverts, and I recommend that you don't, then you'll become happy, you'll only become happy with the latest fashions, with a new kitchen or a new car every few years, only if you have the right phone, the right computer games, if you're seen in all the right places with the right people. We live in a culture that's consumerist from cradle to grave. So the children in your church know more brands than Bible verses. They know more products than parables. I know this because by the time they're 18, they will have seen around a quarter of a million adverts. The average person in the UK sees 2,000 adverts a day. Billboards, TV, internet, newspapers, wherever you drive, you'll see an advert. You'll see 2,000 a day as an adult. Your children will see a quarter of a million of them just by watching TV by the time they're 18. That's why this is such a big issue. Because how your children grow up depend on tackling with these sorts of verses about where their treasure is. Because people spend more time in front of the TV than anywhere else. The average person spends nearly four, average, nearly four hours a day watching the box. I assume if you're all below average, then people, you, people around you, they're watching way more. Consumerism, this is, the na- this is the nation we live in. Consumerism is part of our culture and our society. Seeks to give people identity, a sense of security, a feeling of fulfillment. It provides people with purpose and meaning through the fashions we wear, the places we live, the things we buy. And the experiences we soak up are experienced now. You can buy some experiences. Consumerism seeks to provide you with beauty, purity, passion, purpose. Consumerism even promises to wipe away the old and come in with the new. You can have a true fashion makeover and make the new you. That's what it's saying. You can have, if you have a fashion fix, you will feel different. You won't be the same old self. 
that feels down about life. You'll be a new, bright, vibrant person because you're wearing different clothes. With our new makeover, the old is gone. Clothes to the new you. In essence, consumerism and the messages we get from our society seek to give you everything that you should find in Christ. Jesus says, if you're putting your hope in these things, then what you think is light is actually darkness. We're back here. You think things are okay. You think this is the light. This is the answer. This is what Jesus is saying here in these verses. When he talks about the light. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You think this will be what I need. But it isn't what you need. So how great is that darkness? You're groping for this answer. But all you do is stumble around in the dark. Jesus is echoing Isaiah 55, which says, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which doesn't satisfy? Listen closely to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Interesting, we heard that prophetically brought to us earlier. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me here, that your soul may live. We, as a 21st century Britons, do not believe that man doesn't live by bread alone. We, we think this is all there is. So let's have as much of this sort of stuff as we can. Jesus says different. The remedy to all of this is to make sure your eyes are fixed on the right things. And of course that's treasures in heaven, not on earth. And your greatest treasure in heaven is Jesus. Jesus is your greatest treasure. Fix your gaze on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the one for whom your gaze should be on. He is the one for whom you should look when you want to feel good. Don't do retail therapy, go to Jesus. When you feel low, where do you need to go? You need to go to Jesus. When you want to find purpose in life, feeling good about yourself, go to Jesus. Because Jesus says, as we heard, I have clothed you in rich robes. Someone's picked up the, picked up the Bible and said, all we need to know about ourselves is in here, in the Bible. Instead, we don't do that. We, we look to the world to encourage us and lift us up and pick us up and give us a, 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 a little perk Delight yourselves in rich food, treasures in heaven. Jesus, the one who died for you, in order that you may have eternal life. Jesus, the one who forgave you. Jesus, the one who lavishes rich treasures on you because you are in him. Jesus, the one who gives you access to the Father. Jesus is your greatest treasure. Fix your eyes. And the one who rescued, ransomed, redeemed you. Fix your eyes on the one who reconciled you to God the Father. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is your greatest treasure. When our gaze is on the wrong things, we stumble into the territory of Jesus' third observation. That money can become your master. That earthly treasures, which are always bought with money, can compete with God for your devotion, time, energy and resources. 
And Jesus' challenge is more radical than I thought when it comes to money. Jesus talks about love and hate. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Whenever I heard that verse, this is the way I used to think. I used to think, <coughs> well, I don't hate God. I don't hate God. So that's okay. I love God. So I must be in that category. I must be in the one which says, I must be devoted to, to God because I don't hate him. But I, what I didn't do is I didn't really think hard enough about this verse and flip it around. And I say, well, do I despise money? Do I hate money? If I really love God and am devoted to him, this is what it says. Let me read it again. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. So assuming that God is my master, do I hate money? He will be devoted to the one, assuming my devotion is to God. Will I despise the other? Despise money. I've never heard anyone teach me how to despise money. How do you do that? What is Jesus talking about when he talks about hating money? Jesus also talks about hating my own father and mother. So do I hate my mum? Do I hate even myself? Because I hate even my own life. Luke 14, 26, by the way, guys. What Jesus is saying is, is that your devotion, my devotion, and commitment to following Christ, our willingness to deny ourselves for the sake of the gospel, must be so great that by comparison, it would be that our love for our family would seem, and our love for the things of this world, and our love even for ourselves, it would seem as if we hated them. Because this echoes Paul, right? Paul says, I consider all things rubbish compared to what? The surpassing greatness of knowing <coughs> Jesus. Surpassing greatness. So let me ask you this question. Do you think that's true? And how can you live as if it was? That knowing Jesus is of far greater value than anything else in life. That's a tough one. My Jesus should be so evidently greater that my love for everything else it would be as if I considered them rubbish. So how do you live and follow Christ in such a way as if you despised money? Can you treat money as if it was of no consequence to you? Can you treat money as if it was no consequence to you? Can, how freely can you give it away? How freely, how joyfully can you give away your money? When it comes to the gift day that you have here, with how much joy <coughs> will you experience when you put in the sum of money that you set aside to give? Will it be with, oh, well, I suppose I should, because Nigel's been banging on about it for a, week, <laughs> for a few weeks now, and best had. Will you joyfully give to the practices of God? How free do you find it? Is it evident from the people, the way they see my life, is it evident that I'm investing regularly, significantly, in treasures in heaven? 
that I'm using as much as I can for the glory of Jesus, that I'm content. Paul said, just food and clothing, we'll be content with that. I don't know if I could say that, honestly. I really don't. Ask yourself this question, can you give up what you have? Jesus challenged his disciples to sell all your possessions and give to the poor. I'm not challenging you that this morning. But what could you give up? How would you, is an interesting exercise to think about. Would you feel different about yourself if you lived in a poorer neighbourhood? If you lived in a poorer neighbourhood, would you feel different about yourself? If you kept your current car until it was old, or older, would you feel different about yourself? Would you feel different about yourself if you didn't buy this season's fashions? So that you wore the clothes that were great last year. But now they're not great because they're not this year's fashions. Would you feel different about yourself? Would you see yourself differently? What if you didn't keep up with a technology curve and became a late adopter or a never adopter, waiting to see which things were really useful and beneficial to you? Would you feel differently about yourself? Would you, as rich people often do, walk away from Jesus sad? Or, in our case, drive away? (laughs) Which way round is it in your life? Do you have possessions, or do they possess you? Do you own them, or do they own you? And you can work out which it is, by trying to give something valuable away. And I don't mean the stuff in the garage or in the loft or under the stairs, because they're in all of those places for a reason. I'm talking about one thing, maybe. Don't, you don't even have to do it, but just think about it. What's valuable to you? What would you find hard in your house to give away or to sell and then not keep the money to buy something new? To give that money away. What would you find it hard to do? For me... It's my books. I've got hundreds of them. In fact, I probably have thousands of them. I find books difficult. They are my tre- they're part of my treasure. I love having them. If I could have my dream house, every room would have floor-to-ceiling bookshelves, all crammed with books. And in my dream life, I would have lots of time in which to read all of these books. I like having books. Books are full of memories, they're full of laughter, it's full of knowledge. It's great. I love having books. I think books are wonderful things. These, this is me. But I also like having books because of what they say to people about who I am. People think oh, I've read them. People, people think I'm smart because I've got a lot of books. People think that I know more than I do simply because when they walk into my house... They see a lot of books. They think, this guy, wow, he's, he's well-read. He's cultured. He's sophisticated. I like people thinking that about me. <laughs> so I like having books. Would I feel the same way about myself if I didn't have those books around? You know what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would feel differently about myself. Because books have become part of my identity. Books have got 
If they say something about me, I'm glad to have them. So what do I have to do with my books? I have to give them all. Because books are close to my heart, because books can become a treasure for me, I have to give them away. Freely, regularly, significantly. When people, for me, and I'm saying this is for you, but when, for me, when someone asks for a book, I don't put my name in my book because that stamps my, that's mine, give me my, I'm not a library. I don't want to be a library. I want to lend freely because otherwise I will be consumed with keeping track of the hundreds of books that I've got. Constantly worried about what condition the book comes back in. Who's got it? How long they've had it? Who else wants it? I'll be consumed by these sorts of things. I'm not a library. I just want to be able to give books because the books have a hold on me. What has a hold on you? Something almost certainly does. A few years ago, um, actually skipping missed a bit, it's easy to think, by the way, and I want to correct a misunderstanding here, that Jesus is anti-stuff. Okay? That Jesus here is all about making life difficult for you and making life miserable for you because you can't have things and you can't enjoy them. Actually, Jesus here has come to liberate our hearts. And this is part of change. If we think, oh yeah, but that life, Phil, that you're explaining, just feels so grim. Then we haven't really understood what Jesus is saying. Which way round is it really? Is it more blessed to give or to receive? Give. Yeah, it is more blessed to give. But how does it feel at Christmas? Which way round is it then? And if we really think that, which way round do our kids think it is? So here's a challenge for me. I've, in the last 11 months, became a father. It's brilliant. I was a very reluctant father to be. I thought I didn't know what to think, and I didn't think it would be wonderful. But here's a challenge for me, because of these verses. I want to teach Noah that at Christmas time, it's more blessed still to give than to receive. Not that he shouldn't enjoy receiving, but it's better to give. That's a challenge. It's a challenge even to me, because I like getting new things. I like people buying me stuff. It's great. Yet I can be a reluctant giver. Which way round is it really? Where is my treasure really? Jesus, I want to believe Jesus when he says... Sell some of your possessions and give to the poor. And when he promised me abundant life in this age and eternal life in the age to come. Jesus said this life following me should be brilliant. It should be great. You can have great joy this life. You can have, in fact Jesus promised 100 times as much. Fields and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and things. When you follow me, and in the age to come, eternal life. How can that possibly be true? Well, by sharing. By sharing, it becomes true. When we really become a family, when things are not really yours, but ours, collectively, then actually I could have 40 homes here to go into. 40 homes, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And I become rich. So... I want to believe Jesus both for the abundant life of now, here and now, and for the challenges he puts to me about my stuff. A few years ago, some friends and I were discussing this issue and what do we do about it? 
So we started a little network called Breathe. We aim to appreciate life more fully. Thoroughly enjoying what we have. We want to be satisfied by what we have. Rejecting the false promises of a consumer dream. It offers a lot, but it delivers little. Instead of believing the messages that are put out to us every day, we want to believe Jesus. And instead we want to connect deeply with others. You know, if you're anything like me, you'll live a lot of your life through a screen. I spend more time twittering, facebooking, texting, or in other ways connecting with people through a screen. Whereas actually I, I, I want to be with them and enjoy them. And I don't want to be distracted from my family by someone I'm twittering and texting and facebooking and all that sort of thing. I'm not knocking those things. Facebook's great for connecting, but it's terrible for committing and connecting with people. It's great to connect with my 400 or whatever it is Facebook friends. But how many of those are really my friends? How many of them have any involvement in my day-to-day life and really care about what I'm doing and how I'm doing and whether I'm doing bad or not? It's not. They don't. So we want to live life deeply and not be spread thin on the surface. We want to choose a more generous way of life that invests in people with our time, with our homes, with our money. And by doing so, discover the truth of 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6 says this. As for the rich in this present age, I don't know about you whether you feel rich or not, but you probably are. I put, there's, a, there's a website called the Global Rich List. You put in your, your sort of annual income, and it tells you where in the world you rank in the Global Rich List. I can announce this morning that I'm around 245 million. That means there are 245 million people in the world richer than I am. So when I looked at that, I thought, well, I don't feel very rich, actually, knowing there's 245 million people richer than me. However, if I flip it around, that says there's about 6.4 billion people who have less than I do. 6.4 billion people have less than I do. So do I feel rich now? I should feel richer I should have better perspective on where I am in the world. And we are just the average in this nation. So the rich in this present age, that's us. Paul says this, charge to Timothy, charge them not to be proud or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So don't put your trust in riches, but God will provide. We heard that. That's one of God's names, right? Jehovah Jireh. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. Are you rich in good works? To be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Who does Paul sound like there? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, that's 1 Timothy 6 and Matthew 6 sound remarkably similar to me. Be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share, take hold of that which is truly life. Store up for yourselves a good foundation for the future. Maybe some of you have retirement plans. Maybe some of you have invested for the future. 
and that's good. But if your retirement plan or your plan for the future stops at the moment you die, then you've not invested long enough. That's short-term thinking. It's long-term maybe, but it's actually short-term. As book guy in the Randy Alcorn says, in this life that you live, if you live with Jesus, your time on earth is a dot. Your time with Jesus is a huge line stretching out in front of you. So invest in the line and not in the dot. Invest in the line where you spend with Jesus and not in the dot. You, can, you can't take your treasures with you, but you can send them on ahead. You can't take your treasures with you, but you can send them on ahead. You can have treasures in heaven by using them wisely now. Paul echoes Jesus. So I want to take hold of that which is truly life. Don't you? Don't you want to take hold of what Jesus said is truly life? Take hold of the things that Jesus said will really bless you. Take hold of the life that Jesus really has for you. But Paul says, in doing so, you'll you'll grasp what it really is to live with God's life in you. Isn't that the sort of life that you want? It's the life that I want. To help us uh, breathe, we had a conference in London at the end of April, and we committed ourselves to something we call the promise of life. And I want to share it with you as a prayer for us as we finish. Here's the, here's the promise of life. Uh, no, it's okay. Alright, um, let me move. And I have this on my desk and I have it at home and I pray it every day because I need to absorb it into who I am. Because life is a gift, we live it thankfully. We savour what we have and we pray for what we need. No longer hurried, distracted or worried, we walk through each moment with God. Because everything is a gift, we live with open hands. We tread lightly on the earth and share freely our homes and our things. No longer restlessly chasing identity, we'll be known by our love and not our logos. Because giving is a gift, we live generously. Give ourselves deeply to family and community. Give joyfully to those in need. No longer caught in the consumer dream, we'll invest our all in the kingdom of love. That's my hope and my heart. That that's what Jesus calls us to. To invest our all in the kingdom of love. Not in some false dream. So I want to urge you this morning that Jesus doesn't, isn't coming to make your life miserable. Isn't coming to take away your toys and the things you enjoy. He's calling you to something greater. And something deeper. And something richer. And he's just saying, be careful guys, things aren't bad, but they aren't always safe either. It's not always safe for us to have lots of things. It's not always good for our souls, and good for our families even. We need to be ones that learn how to invest in each other, deeply love and share, enjoy, and then as we do so, take hold of that which is truly life. True pray. Father, help us when we get things the wrong way around. 
help us when we invest in the dots and not in the line, when we store up for ourselves treasures on earth and not in heaven. Help us when we forget and fail to realise that our greatest treasure in life is you. Would you work in our hearts with your grace? Would you not instead put on new rules and things on us, but would you free us to think, I want to take hold of life. I want to take hold of all that you have for me. I want to invest in the kingdom of love, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want to live a life that reflects your values, that invests with you, that invests into the things that you consider important and not the things that just make me feel good for a time time and a moment here on earth. Would you help me invest in treasures in heaven? Because I want to be devoted to you. I want to love you with all that I am, heart, mind, soul and strength. Would you help us with Jesus? We pray. Amen.